Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 26. And this one might be a little short, but something funky happened to me. Actually, something stupid. I did something stupid. I should just say it like it is. So, um I don't know if you ever play the um the word game called Words with Friends. It's an app that you can download um either on your Android or your iPhone and it's basically a uh, virtual way not a virtual way but it's a way of playing Scrabble with other people via the app and I love that because I love the the Scrabble game but sometimes it's nice to be able to play that without having a bunch of people come over and things like that even though I do love having parties but it's just a nice game to play and you get to meet people from all over the world well I was playing this game just now and Sometimes, well, let me put it this way. When I first started playing Words with Friends, I would never resign a game. Never, never, never. And I've been playing Words with Friends off and on probably for like 5 or 6 years or something, like the original one, maybe even longer than that because it's one of my favorite games. And um, I used to never resign. But then if if I start looking at the odds, I start looking at the odds. Okay, what are the odds that I can actually win this? You know, if I'm so many points behind, So within the last few years I've started resigning more in games instead of sticking it out, sticking it through, see what happens because also in the game Words with Friends if it's the if it is your opponent's turn and they don't play a word or skip their turn within a certain amount of time it times out and you automatically win. And sometimes I have won that way even though the other person was ahead. because again if it times out and they miss their chance to either pass or play a word it automatically defaults again against them so i was playing a game tonight and i looked at the score and i thought the score said that my opponent was 400 points and i was 200 something and there's no more letters that you can get you only have the letters that you have cuz pretty much all the letters have either been played or they have been have been divided out there's nothing else so i thought well i can't play anywhere i can't i don't have a vowel so there's really no place where i can i can put a letter so it's like well they're like 200 points ahead of me i might as well just resign i resigned the game and i knew that it would count against me but i thought well there's no way i can win this is what i thought and i used to never think that way cuz i'm usually very competitive But then when it showed me that the game was over and I had resigned, I realized I had read the score wrong because my eyes were tired. I actually had 400 points and my opponent had 200 something. So I forfeited a game that I actually was winning and would have won anyway, regardless of whether I played a letter or not. If I had just kept skipping my turn or passing my turn, I could have continued to win that game. and it dawned on me how many times i have quit how many times i've given up i've talked myself out of victory i've talked myself out of winning i looked at the odds i looked at things in the natural and i thought there's no way i can beat this there's no way i can win this there's no way i'm going to get that job there's no way i'm going to get that promotion there's no way i'm going to be able to pay that bill like just very negative thinking very negative thinking 
And I can, you know, give you all the reasons and excuses why I think that way. But the reasons and excuses to me they don't really matter anymore. And here's why. I realized that I have given up on so many blessings because I didn't see them as blessings. I've given up on so many things that God has given me because I got frustrated, I got tired. I'm not resting when I'm supposed to be resting. I'm just giving up. And I'm looking at things in the natural when I should know better. Even something as simple as a game of Scrabble or words with friends. I should know better than to resign. I'm not the type of person to be a quitter. But over the years I I've become a quitter and that really just bothered me. And I just thought that is not who I am. Like when I was younger, I was an amazing athlete. In fact, I still am an amazing athlete because I'm training for a marathon and I'm also doing some bodybuilding. And I just thought, you know, why am I quitting when when the prize is right there? And I think what we end up doing is we get into a bad habit of thinking that we know it all. Our our decisions are best, not God's decisions. And we just throw in the towel because it's easier to go, "Oh, well, it wasn't meant to be anyway." When in fact, it was right there in front of me if I had just persevered. And it just really I don't mean it in a negative way that really just slapped me in the face. It was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call that over time I have allowed myself to become a quitter instead of enduring to the end and really fighting the good fight of faith. And I don't just mean in terms of of Christianity and like being a Christian, although that is super important. But I can see why my my inner man, my soul, my spirit has been agitated off and on all these years, probably since my twenties. And I started thinking about, I was like, I've been a quitter since I was like 18 or 19 years old. That's when I started quitting stuff. And I, I used to never quit at anything. I used to be like, you proved to me I, I suck at something. You proved to me I'm a failure, because I'm going to prove to you that I'm not. That's how I used to think. And somewhere along the way, I lost my spirit. Like like I lost my striving for for greatness. I don't know how to start to describe it. I lost my my will to be successful even though I do want success. It's just I never thought I would throw in the talent stuff and I didn't realize that that was becoming a bad habit. Especially these last I don't know 5 to 6 years. And it just really bugged me. It really bugged me because I just sat there and looked at my screen on my phone. I was like, "Oh, what? I was the winner." But I forfeited the game. stupidly i forfeited the game and i thought this this is a testimony right here to not quit don't ever quit i don't care if it's a game 
of words with friends or solitaire or a basketball game or or you're fighting, you know, an infection or, you know, cancer or if if you're, you know, holding on to your marriage and you're fighting for your marriage. Or maybe you know, you have a relative or a child that's off track and you want to give up on them. You just want to be like, "Well, I'm done with them. Write them off." It is so easy to write people off, but even worse than that is when we write ourselves off. I just it just really bugged me. I don't know how else to describe it. I just thought this is pathetic. And I'm not trying to beat myself up. I'm not. But I just thought what happened to that spark I used to have? Where I used to get stuff done. Like I used to be the go-to girl. And it's just so sad when you see what you've become and you know it's not who God wants you to be. God doesn't want us to be quitters. It doesn't matter if it's something small, medium or large. We're not supposed to quit at anything. Because even against all odds, we have the victory in Christ Jesus. And it reminds me of the Israelites, especially in Deuteronomy. That's one of my favorite books. The reason why the Israelites did not get into the promised land as quickly, I think from from Egypt to the promised land, I think it would have been like 11 days or something. But because they doubted God and they they developed this quitter mentality, they wouldn't go fight these people to just lodge them to get into the promised land because for some reason they didn't think either A that God would help them or B they didn't think they could do it, so they thought, well, what's the point? You know, let's just be friends with these people. and then they'll let us into the promised land. That's not true at all. Like it was such a stupid thought to think that way. When God said, "You need to go fight these people and you will win because I am with you and I am before you. I'll fight for you, but you've got to get out there. You've got to do your part." The Israelites continuously threw in the towel. And they wandered in the desert. for years for years because they disobeyed God. See, that's the thing. When we quit at something, we're disobeying God. I don't care if it's words with friends or a job or a marriage or a child or a pregnancy or you know you're giving up on your car and you're talking mean to it. I'll give an example with this. Like I'm having to borrow a relative's car right now. because I was sideswiped and dragged through an intersection last summer in July. And I haven't found a vehicle yet to replace the one I had, and I won't go into the big old story about that, but I've been uh borrowing a relative's car. And when I first got in that vehicle, I could tell this vehicle it was like possessed. It did not want me in it. I could just tell. That's going to sound crazy, but it I never thought that would happen to me. But just out of nowhere the wheel would start jerking and and the car would try and drive me into ongoing oncoming traffic. It was scary, it was terrifying. And I was like, "Okay, 
obviously the devil's trying to kill me yet again and i thought this vehicle i know what the problem is my relative as kind as they are they missed their car i get that so whenever they talk about their car and i'm around them they're like oh i really missed my car you know that kind of thing they're they're putting on the the, the puppy dog eyes and things like that and it's like well the we're having a hard time getting a vehicle here because of the shortage of cars where where we live in Oklahoma and also the the astronomical pricing of cars right now because the chip factory burned down and the vehicle that I want I can't get because it doesn't have access to a chip because I want to get a new truck but unfortunately it's like you you'll be going to go purchase a new vehicle but it's it's not complete yet because it doesn't have the chip. Well, you need the chip in order for your vehicle to completely run properly. Which side note, I don't think we ever should have made our vehicles completely reliant on a computer chip. I miss the good old-fashioned days where if you had a key, you could get into your car and all you had to do was just turn it and, and you know in the ignition and it starts. You don't have to have a chip. Like I remember driving an 85 Fleetwood Cadillac way back in the day when I was a teeny bopper. I trained I learned how to drive for driver's ed in a Fleetwood Cadillac. Like my mother would take me driving and she says I want you to practice in this and so we called it the boat. And man, when people saw me coming they moved. <laughs> they got out of the way in our neighborhood because this thing was a tank. I loved that vehicle. But my point is this, like I could tell that there was apprehension in my relative's vehicle because they didn't really like me borrowing their vehicle. They were being kind and I appreciate that. But the wheel kept trying to move and and you know have me go into someone's car, like drive into someone's car and have a wreck and it was really frightening. And I I was like, what am I going to do about this? And immediately it dawned on me, I need to speak favor over this car. I need to bless this vehicle. So I'm at an intersection. I kid you not, I'm at an intersection. And I laid hands I've never done this before on a vehicle. I laid hands on the console area and also on the dashboard of this vehicle. And I just said, "You are blessed. You are abundantly blessed." And I just kept speaking all these words of favor over the car. And you know what? Whatever was going on with that car, it left. Like I felt something funky leave the vehicle because we have to remember we are living in a supernatural world like things that are beyond what we can see and you know what i have not had another problem with the steering wheel and the vehicle jerking around and trying to go into oncoming traffic i haven't had that problem since then but it was terrifying i thought what am i going to do take it to a mechanic and say oh by the way my vehicle's possessed Like I could tell the vehicle hated me. I don't it was so weird. But here's the thing, it wasn't the vehicle. It was a bad spirit. Because there was animosity. Some I would say some animosity. I don't mean it harshly, but there's animosity from my relative. And my relative that loaned me their vehicle, they come from a family that speaks curses on people. So you better believe that curses are are real. They're scary and they're frightening, but get this. 
we are not called to be weak. We're not called to give in to fright or fear. So we need to start speaking what God says about things and rebuke anything and everything that is outside of the goodness of God. Because God doesn't want us to die in car wreck, in car wrecks. He doesn't want that. He wants us to live and be happy and be whole. And you know what's interesting is when I spoke favor over my relative's vehicle, not only did it stop acting up like that with the steering wheel, but my relative got nicer to me. Now they don't whine and complain and they don't have animosity towards me about me being, you know, borrowing their vehicle. You know, the, these negative thoughts and words we have, they come from a negative spirit. It's not just random or by accident, it's intentional. And the devil wants us to have problems. Like I have no doubt the devil loves it when families have issues. And the devil will use a car to get in between you and your relative and cause problems in your relationship. That's why we need to speak favor over our life, our possessions, and especially possessions that we're borrowing from other people. I think about it, the devil wanted to ruin first of all my life. He wanted to kill me. Number 2, the devil wanted to ruin my relationship with my relative. And he was willing to use something as trivial as a vehicle to ruin it. That's how evil the devil is. It just is so sometimes it's so shocking to me how evil Satan is. But you know what? We're not called to be shocked. I'd rather be amazed at the goodness of God. And I've seen the goodness of God in my life and I'm you know what? I'm so thankful that God woke me up to the fact that I've just tolerated myself being complacent and not living my fullest destiny. Not living my best. Being a quitter. It really hurt to see that in me. Just something as simple as words with friends, but it just when when you are naturally a competitive person and you see that you were winning by 200 points, which is a lot of points in words with friends. I mean, I'm really good with words. And then you forfeit that victory. Man, it hurt. And it made me realize so many other things I gave up on because either I thought it wasn't worth it or I wasn't good enough or I didn't see how I could ever succeed at something you know just these stupid negative thoughts and the lord spoke to my heart and he said don't you ever forfeit a game again don't you ever resign again at anything i am with you and i am for you And I agree with God on this. So I don't know about you, but I have made a firm decision in my mind to not be a quitter anymore. Going forward, I am not going to quit. I'm going to stand firm regardless of what happens and what occurs. 
Because I am a winner in Christ Jesus. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I, I don't have to resign at anything. I've already won. I am so glad that God corrected me in that moment. And it, it may sound trivial to some people, but to me, it meant everything. And in times past, I, I would tell God off and be like, don't you dare try and correct me on anything. I'm sick and tired of being corrected because I was raised in very much an environment where it's like you're just constantly being corrected. You know, that, that's what happens when you're raised in a cult religion. Um, it's, it's, it's manipulation and it's not teaching you discipline. It teaches you to dislike and possibly hate and despise authority figures. That's what it teaches you. So whenever I would read Proverbs or the Book of Wisdom, which both those books I hated for years because I didn't want to hear it. I would curse about it. I'd be like, Lord, don't ever have me read that. I don't want to hear it. You know how I am. I don't want to hear this. You want me to know something? You let me know another way, but don't you dare correct me or punish me or do something stupid. Because I will leave you. Like, I would threaten God all the time. That's how angry I was at stuff. Just a bullheaded teenager. And probably even in my 20s. But the more that I grow... And I have grown in my relationship with Christ. I realize that when God corrects you, he's not punishing you. And here's the thing. Correction does not equal pain or misery. Because the way that I was corrected as a child and even as a teenager, the way I was raised, there was always pain. Whether physical, mental, or emotional pain associated with it. Because to me, the way that I was disciplined when I was younger, as a minor... The punishment never fit the crime because it was always extreme and excessive. That's what cults do. They over-punish. In fact, they shouldn't even be punishing their children because they focused on the wrath of God. So I thought, well, if God's going to try and correct me, he's probably going to be like these idiots that I hated and couldn't stand. I despised so many people when I was a child. But it's because I saw their wickedness. I saw how evil they were. And I was like, well, if that's what they think discipline is, then I don't want to be any part of it with God. So for a long time, I would not accept correction from God because I thought he hated me. And I thought he was going to hurt me like these other people hurt me. And then I slowly realized, and I mean slowly, I mean like turtle speed, like tortoise speed, slowly realized God is not a punisher. He's a lover. He loves us. He's a, he's a heavenly father. He's not there to condone, to shame, to blame. He's not going to beat you, despise you, talk bad to you. That's what the devil does. And you know what? We are supposed to hate and despise wicked, evil behavior. We are supposed to do that. But we're not supposed to act on it in an, ang- in an angrily, malicious way. We're supposed to give God a chance to handle that. We're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. See, I was walking by what I saw for years. And that affected my faith because I was like, well, I don't really know what to believe in. And all I see is uh, misery. 
So when I think back, when I think back to what I've gone through, I can see why I became a quitter because I I'd had it. Because I got into the bad habit of thinking, well, nothing's worked out for me yet, so what's the point of trying to finish this? I would just give up because I I was trained to believe that I wasn't worth anything. I was trained to doubt myself and I and my ability as a little girl and as a child and as a teenager. That's what I was raised in. I was raised that I'm no good, I'm worthless. I'm lower than dirt and I'm a worm. And if something bad happens to me, God's trying to kill me. That's what I was raised. And that is so sad to raise a child like that. It's cruel, it's evil, it's wicked. It it's it's demonic to raise someone like that. And these adults thought that they were completely right in what they were saying and doing, but yet they were completely wrong. Completely and utterly wrong, and I forgive them. And I I pray for them and I ask God to forgive them. Because they have screwed up so many people. these cults it's it's sad what they do but i can tell that i've personally grown in my faith journey with christ because now i want god to correct me because now i'm not fearful of him i know he's not trying to kill me i know he's not trying to punish me and when he corrects me he's gentle and kind i'm not used to being corrected like that i didn't know correction could be loving could be hey i really care about you what you're doing is wrong here's what you need to do first of all to repent but secondly to avoid doing this in the future see our heavenly father he gives us a way out he helps us tremendously he 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 shows us what the problem is in our life what we're doing wrong and he helps us repair it if not he completely repairs it himself He shows us the way. He doesn't say, "Oh, you're not worth the way now. You know, you're not worth saving now, so you're going to be punished even more. I'm going to write you off." No, that that's not our heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father never writes us off. So I encourage you, if you have been raised incorrectly, which a lot of us have, and I acknowledge that. When I stopped running, from my past and stopped running from how how I was raised that was the first step towards wisdom to acknowledge how to word this to acknowledge that I don't have to live a lie anymore because we all know it's wrong to live a lie but sometimes we're too scared to live the truth because if we live in the truth we have to acknowledge certain things about ourselves and how we were raised and things like that because we don't want to think bad things about people that raised us or the people that taught us religion or things like that and and we associate wanting to have a better life with thinking that oh well I've got to completely disown these people that hurt me or harmed me or lied to me that's not true Sometimes we're too black and white yes and no. God wants us to live in peace. And the only way we can have peace 
is to acknowledge things that that have happened and that are happening. So that way God can help us have a better future because he always wants us to have a better future, but we have to acknowledge things. And I remember praying a prayer several years ago when I was starting to be open to correction from God. And I was pretty firm about it. I was not nice to him. I have not been very kind to God in times past. But he was very patient with me because he knows that he knows that my harshness was not towards him. It was towards others from my past because I was so angry. So I remember several years ago I let God know, "Hey, if I need to know something, tell me." but be kind about it otherwise i'm blocking you out again and you know what he would speak to my heart in such a gentle way i i don't know how else to describe it like i'm almost going to cry and once i realized that my heavenly father was never going to speak harshly or mean to me or be cruel that's when i opened up my heart a little bit more baby steps and it was literally baby steps i i was too scared to to jump into the deep end of the pool with this i i waited basically analogy here i waited in the kiddie pool and i just tiptoed slowly to the deep end It's like, okay, God. All right, I'm I'm, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you an opportunity here. What do you want me to know? And then I opened my heart some more. And I said, "Lord, if I need to be corrected on something, correct me. Let me know." And still out of fear, I said, "Just don't be cruel to me." And I think it's so sad that I ever thought my heavenly father was cruel. But the great thing about our heavenly father is he meets us where we are. He doesn't get angry at us about stuff like this. If anything he says, I know what you've been through. I understand. I love you. I'm never going to be cruel to you. I have never been cruel to you. Let me take care of you. Let me provide for you. Let me dry those tears. Then I opened my heart some more and I said, "Heavenly Father, if if I have done anything wrong and I need to be corrected, Or if I need to apologize to somebody, let me know. If there's something that I, if I have hurt someone's feelings and I'm not aware of it, let me know. And the first thing that God spoke to me about, spoke to my heart, was you need to be kinder to yourself. You need to practice gentleness. 
And I was just kind of surprised that that was the first thing he he said to me because I was expecting again a harsh god. I don't know why. Maybe just creature of habit. Expecting the worst but hoping for the best. And he spoke to to my heart and said, "If you're not gentle with yourself, you're not ever going to be able to be gentle with other people. Because you can't give people what you don't have." And right now you have a cold, closed, hurt, broken heart. Let me mend it. Let me help you. I love you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have always loved you and I will always continue to love you. Nothing can separate my love from you. That's what my heavenly father spoke to my heart in that moment. And I just broke down and bawled like a little girl. Even though I'm a grown woman. So I I had to be intentional in practicing gentleness towards myself. And so I opened up my heart more and I said, "Lord, give me wisdom give me guidance correct me along the way i'm not scared that that you're going to hurt me i i'm not worried about that anymore because i know that you have proven yourself to me and i don't mean that horribly you shouldn't have to prove yourself but i know that i can trust you and i thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to work on this because obviously I needed to change. And so in this particular moment on this night, you know, I'm just playing words with friends while cooking a baked potato. And the Lord gently woke me up that I've become a quitter and I used to never be one. It wasn't harsh him speaking to me he was a little firm with me but in a in a fatherly gentle way i guess i should say when he said don't ever quit again don't ever forfeit another game again i am with you i am for you i love you you're not a loser you are a winner i want to say that you know there are times that I will feel God speak to my heart and it feels like he's being firm but it's not in a in a mean way. It's just this energy. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when you're on let's say for example you're playing outdoor soccer. And cuz I used to play outdoor soccer. And When God speaks to your heart firmly, it's like a parent in 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 the in the stands yelling at their kid, "You've got this. Go for it. Go for it. Go for the goal. You're doing great. Just go. You're awesome." That's what it's like. It's like your parent is proud of you. They see that you're winning. They see that you're trying. They see that you're doing the best that you can. and they're cheering you on 
What good would it do if a parent is sitting in the stands and just goes, "Oh yeah, just just keep running. Yeah, that's fine. Let me let me file my nails here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, keep going." Does that sound like a good parent? No, it sounds like a snob. So when God is cheering for us, he's really going to yell from the stands, but he's not yelling at you. He's yelling for you. He's he he's letting you know you have optimism. You have favor. You have a positive outlook. You have a positive future. Sometimes God has to speak louder to us in a way to to our heart and to our soul. And here's the thing. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. And I'm so thankful for that because God is the only one that knows me through and through and understands me. You know, it makes me think about all the guys I dated when I was younger and it's like not a single one of them understood my brain. <laughs> I think that's one reason why we always broke up. I mean, I dated some some nice ones every now and then, but and and they've gone on and married really nice women and that's great. You know, we just weren't a match, but it really matters when you're in a relationship with somebody when they know you and they love you and they love you for who you are. and they're going to meet you where you currently are. Not, oh, well, I'll be there for you once you do what I want you to do. Have has anyone ever said that to you? I, someone has said that to me. And I just went, well, I guess this isn't going to work, is it? Because I don't believe in emotional manipulation because that's what it is. Our heavenly Father is not a manipulator. The devil is a manipulator. The devil is evil. He only does three things: steal, kill, and destroy. The devil loves it when we doubt our heavenly Father's love for us. He loves it when we think that we should quit. He loves it when we throw in the towel. He loves it when we think we're worthless because he knows that if he can convince us in our mind that we'll probably do it, that that we'll probably believe it. because as human beings we tend to rely too much on our own thinking our own decision making and we tend to rely too much on science and I mean all that stuff and there's nothing wrong with science I love it I think it's great but sometimes we rely too much on the natural when we need to re- we need to be relying on the supernatural because that's where great and amazing things happen That's where God moves mountains for us. But if we don't think we are worth moving a mountain, God can't help us necessarily. I mean, every once in a while I think I'm not worth this. What what am I even doing? And then something great will happen and I'm like, "Wow, I know that had to be the favor of God because I know I didn't do anything to get that or deserve that." There are times that God will supersede things. I don't know how to describe it, but sometimes he knows our faith is lacking and he will intervene for us and and it's basically him saying, "I know you don't have enough faith to do this on your own, but because I love you and I see your heart, I see how much you love me, you love my son, I know you're trying. 
I'm going to make an exception here and I'm going to help you in the same way as if you had a, a lot of faith. Sometimes God does that. He's done that for me in my life. But it's so much easier to get things done when we do have that faith and we do believe in ourselves and we do believe in God and we trust in Jesus. And we trust that God has us in the palm of his hand. I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to say this in a podcast and in it and just let you guys know about it because I figure if if I'm battling stuff like this and I'm struggling with stuff like this then I have no doubt some of my listeners are also facing some of the exact same problems that I am and I just want you to know Jesus is Lord and he is the solution because he he provides the solution he's our problem solver he can solve all of our problems And he speaks to us in a way that we can understand. Like, for example, men love sports. Like, I know from working with men over the years, if I want to get through to them immediately on, on a on a topic or a subject or an assignment or a project, all I need to do is compare it to football, and they will understand it immediately. They'll be like, "Oh, yeah, got it. I can help you with that. That's great." It's the same way with God. He knows what language we need to hear, what speech pattern we need to hear, what examples we need to hear. He knows how to talk to us on an individual level. And just think about this. God knows how to talk to everybody on this planet. So that's billions of people. I don't know the total population of the planet, but just think about how many people are on our planet. And he knows how to speak to each and every single one of them on an individual level so that they know and understand what exactly God is speaking to them and what he's saying. And he knows what we all need on an individual level. Because are we part of the body of Christ? Yes, but we are members of Christ Jesus, meaning we are all parts. All of us matter on an individual level. So so don't think that you don't matter because you do. If the Lord can speak to my heart and use something as fun and simple as the words with friends app to wake me up to something that I need to be corrected on, then he can do that for you and I'm telling you just know your heavenly father loves you so much. And if you don't know what kindness is, I've been there. If you don't know what love is, I've been there. But if you don't know what kindness or love is, just know your heavenly father has both of those things. And he will pamper you. He is so kind and so gentle. I I don't know how else to describe it. I guess the best way to describe it is that Jesus is Lord, he heals and forgives, and God's holy word stands alone. Meaning I don't have to prove to any unbelievers that God is real, but all I have to do is say, "Okay, read the Bible. Read the Bible. His his love is like confetti. It's everywhere in the Bible." 
But I think the reason why some people don't grasp it is because they're like, how can I believe in something so genuine, so kind, so loving when I have never experienced that in my daily life? Here's the thing. God knows what you've been through. He loves you. He loves you so much. He he loves you. I don't know how to describe it. Like if you were a stock on the stock on the stock market, let's say one share, let's say you are one share, you personally, let's say you cost 50 billion dollars to be purchased. God can purchase you in a heartbeat for 50 billion dollars. And get this, you're actually worth way more than 50 billion dollars. You and I are worth so much to God. We are worth more than all the money on this planet. We are worth more than all the emeralds. We are worth more than all the pearls. We are worth more than all the diamonds. We are worth more than all the precious metals on this planet. That's how much God loves us. And if you want to have kind of a more concrete thinking about this cuz sometimes I do this, I get curious about how much things cost. Look up how much metal costs right now. Especially tin, copper and aluminum. Look up how much gold costs and silver costs. Look up our natural fuels. All these things God created and made for us. But whatever their value is on this planet is nothing compared to how much we mean to God. Cuz only you and I were made in the image of God. Only the human race was made in the image of Almighty God. So, first of all, we get special treatment. Number 2, we are divinely loved. That means nothing can separate us from God. Whatever you're going through, whatever problem you have, Jesus is your problem solver. He's your attorney, he's your advocate. He's your banker. He's the best boss ever. Like, I think about this in terms of employment. I've had so many awful bosses and managers over the years. It's it's insane. Like there's so many bad people that are in management. But the way that I've gotten through that is I look at it as well I don't work for people I work for God. And when I think of it that way I start praying for my supervisors. I never pray for my bosses. I used to, I used to just think oh well here's another bad one now I'm going to have to deal with them 5 days a week, 40 hours a week. That's how I used to think of these people because they really were horrible but when I focused on Christ, when I focused on my Lord and my Savior And I realized, hey, he's my problem solver. He can help me with this. And once I realized that I, I I need to put my focus on Christ, I realized that if my boss is behaving cruelly to me and being mean and hateful, they've got a much bigger problem than just being mean to me. Could just just think about the turmoil that is living and percolating on the inside of that person. So then I started being more compassionate. and having empathy for them. And my relationship with my bosses got better. And it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. And because I started praying for them instead of hating them, 
or hating what they do, I would just say, Lord, forgive them. Like whenever a boss is mean to me in a meeting, I, I, you know what I do? I say a prayer before I go into the meeting. I say a prayer during the meeting. And then I say a prayer after the meeting. And you know what? I don't have hardly any of the problems that I used to have in the past when it comes to dealing with supervisors, bosses, and meetings or performance reviews. Oh, I hated those. Now I love them. Because now I think, oh, bring it. What are they going to say about me? Because I know I'm good. I know my work is good and true because I'm a good person and I'm a good worker. See, I got used to employers or, or uh, bosses lying about me because sometimes bosses will lie about you so that way they can cheat you out of um, a raise because either A, the company doesn't have the money or B, your boss doesn't think you deserve more money. But once I realized all I have to do is pray for that evil, wicked person, guess what? It's no longer in my court anymore because I've passed the ball to, to Jesus. And he's the one that's going to you know, shoot the three throw and he's always going to slam dunk it, right? That's how we need to look at this stuff. So if you're like me and you've quit at a lot of stuff, I encourage you, stop quitting. Ask God to help you with it. Ask him to wake you up. Like one of the prayers I said earlier today, because I was reading a really good book. I think it's called Blessed Mode by Kel Mitchell. I think that's his name. It's really interesting when you realize that you, that you need to change for the better, but also to... To live in a more peaceful manner. I don't know how else to describe that. But when we, are, when we want to live in the blessing of God, that means we should not be inviting struggle and lack into our lives. And so all throughout the day today, I just kept inviting God into my life, into my world. Even though I know he's already there. And guess what? The devil definitely tried to get me to be frustrated about something today. You know, just a small irritation. I was like, nope, I'm not getting irritated. I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt. And guess what? The situation worked out just fine. We have to learn to expect the best. Because if we learn to expect the best, then we don't want to quit. Being a quitter is not an option when you are a believer in Christ Jesus because we already have the victory. So we have nothing to worry about. So I look at it this way. As of the moment that God corrected me about being a quitter, I am no longer a quitter. I'm a doer. I'm a believer. I'm a Christ-centered Christian woman. And I keep inviting God into my heart. Because that's where I want God to be, is in my heart. I don't want him to be far off and away, which of course he never is far off and away. But when you distance yourself from God, that's what it feels like. So now I'm actually looking forward to so many things that I thought I should quit on. But I know now 
I shouldn't quit. I should keep running my race just like I go running. Like I put it this way, I'll close with this. When when I was a runner in high school, I ran cross country. It would have never dawned on me if if I knew I wasn't going to get first or second or third place to just quit the game altogether, to quit the race and just walk off the track or walk off the meet as they say. It would never dawn on me to do that because regardless of where you place in the race, you finish that race. You finish it. And I remember one time thinking, well, cuz I I count the runners And I was like, well, I'm probably not going to place this, this, and this. I was like, I'll go. I was like, I know I'm going to finish the race, but I wasn't expecting a medal. But what I didn't realize is that as I was running, and I was thinking about not being sure where I'm going to place, and I know I'm not going to be first, second, or third, I passed all these other runners and didn't realize it. And guess what? I did place. because I got a medal. And I was like, "Really? They're like, "Don't you know your time?" I was like, "No, I I was just in the zone. I was in a pitiful zone, but you know, I, I just kept running." So from then on after that race, I never assumed that I was going to lose. I I stopped counting how many runners passed me. I focused on my path, my journey. And that's how we need to apply that to our Christian faith. And also anything, any endeavor that we have, we need to focus on our race, not other people's. We need to stop looking at our opponent and focus on our journey, our destiny. Our destiny and our journey should matter matter to us just as much as it matters to God. That's what I got out of God correcting me tonight in a simple game called Words with Friends. And I'm so glad he corrected me. And and he corrected me in a loving, kind, fatherly, gentle manner. Never harsh, never mean. He's never fickle. If anything, he's been yelling for me from the grandstands for years. And has been saying, "Leslie, keep going, keep going. You got this. You got this. You have the victory. Keep going. Do not give up." But if we believe what the devil says, who's always on the opposite team, he's always against us. He's our opponent technically in everything. We need to stop believing the lies of the devil and, and stop just thinking, well, that's the status quo or that's how things are or this is what it looks like. Man, throw that out in the garbage because that's where it belongs. You and I as believers in Christ Jesus are worthy of victory because we already have the victory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter whether the victory that we're experiencing right now in our lives is small, medium or large or extra large or Big Mac style if you're eating at McDonald's. It doesn't matter what task or what project or what you're going through. It matters to God. Like it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I I don't imagine a little kid would be listening to this podcast, but you know, God cares just as much for a little kid to win and keep going in his little league game 
than he does in someone that is competing in the Olympics. Because both events are character building. He doesn't want us to quit no matter what. No matter the struggle, do not quit. You need more strength, you ask God for strength. You need a healing, you ask God for a healing. You need endurance, you ask God for endurance. You need water, ask God for water. You need Gatorade, ask God for Gatorade. You, you want a steak, ask God for a steak. There's nothing that he can't do. Every request that you lift up in prayer is a golden opportunity and a beautiful opportunity for God to bless you, to show his love for you. Once I woke up to that, I just thought, wow. How many years have I wasted on not going to God when I needed to go to him immediately with so many things? I just allowed myself to to flounder, I guess. almost drowned in my misery. Well, what's the point of that? As Christians, we need to know how to swim in every situation. And I challenge you to something. If you don't know how to literally swim like in a pool, I challenge you this summer to take swimming lessons. To get over your fear of water. Learn how to swim. I don't care if you're the oldest kid in your swimming class. I don't care if if you're the only adult in your swimming class with all these little toddlers or something or little kids or grade schoolers. If anything, it should be fun. But while you're learning to swim, just remember you can master anything. Because if God be for you, who dare be against you? So don't be against yourself. None of us are called to be a masochist. We're not called to self-torture or 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 self-doubt or self-pity. There's enough hardship in this world as it is. So if anything, be the athlete God always wants you to be and always wanted you to be. Because technically, we are running a race in our faith. That's why Christianity is not easy. But when we know who we are in Christ Jesus, all we have to do is cast our care unto him and he will carry our burden for us and he will help us. I hope that this helps you because it really helped me. And it took such a load off of me when I realized I need to make a change for the better. Because every change that I make in my life should be for Christ. I love that phrase, less of me, more of you, Lord. Because when I don't focus on me all the time, then I'm not focusing on my faults, my flaws. And women do this a lot. I know men do it too, but women, we are way too critical of ourselves. way too critical. Give God a chance to help you. Give God a chance to love you and embrace you all the days of your life. I will go ahead and end this podcast and I would love to end it with a prayer. So please pray with me. I would love this. Heavenly Father,
We love you. We thank you. We are just in awe of your glory and your majesty. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for our healing. We thank you for the new beginnings that occur every day in our life. We love you. We thank you. We praise you and we look forward to our miracles that are coming our way as of this moment in time. Thank you Heavenly Father for loving us, embracing us, making everything brand new. In Jesus mighty name we pray. Amen. Until next time I pray that you have a happy, healthy and whole week and that you are happy, healthy and whole. That's wonderful. Until next time, bye-bye. life for